I love that song. You guys did great. We are going to get going on our lesson this morning. We have been doing this. I don't know where to put this. We have been doing this uh, for like six weeks now or seven weeks now. I know. It's a long, it's a long series. But this is, uh, I have been having a great time with this just in my own like self-reflection. My own like Bible study. Reading the Bible through the eyes of the villain, like finding myself in the bad guy. And you might think, like, that does not sound very fun at all. <clears throat> and uh, and it's, it's not meant to be fun. It's meant to be helpful and productive and useful spiritually. And so we are, uh, we're going to keep going and... Uh, I was, I was in Dallas for the weekend, and I literally like, got back at 1.30 this morning, and I know Pat was hoping that because I came in so late, I would just have nothing serious to talk about. Um, I planned all of this way before I left, so, uh, so we're, we're going to, I'm sorry, Pat, um, so we're going we're gonna to pick out our next bad guy. And this is, a, this is a big one in, in the New Testament, in the Gospel specifically. We're going to look at Judas. And um, Judas is regularly seen as like the evil guy in the Gospels. Like the betrayer. And that's, he did. He did. He betrayed Jesus. He sold him out. And I want to... I want to look at it from maybe a slightly different perspective. I'm not going to defend Judas necessarily. But, you know, if you think, maybe you've seen artwork where Judas is just like this super shifty dude who, like, he probably has a long mustache that he twirls and he has this, like, diabolical laugh. Um, that's, that's probably not true. We're going to read later, but what we know from the scriptures is that when the time of Jesus' betrayal took place, Judas left, and no one knew why he was leaving. And Jesus said, one of you here is going to betray me, and no one knew who it was. No one said, it's probably Judas, because he's acting so shady all the time. Didn't happen. He was able to kind of fly under the radar uh, in that regard. The other thing is, um, is that what we know is that he was part of Jesus' ministry from, the, from basically the beginning, and he was sent out with the 12 when they were sent out, with the 72 when they went out. Jesus gave these guys authority to like perform miracles, drive out demons, heal people. Judas was in that. Now, it doesn't say specifically that Judas was good at preaching or ministry or bad at it. It, didn't, it doesn't mention him during this time at all. But there's also no mention of like, you know, someone coming back to Jesus and being like, dude, Judas, keep an eye on that guy. He, was, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't spectacularly bad or good in, in the sense of like getting the attention throughout the Gospels. And so we're going to try to dig in a little bit into Judas's character. But if we just think of Judas as this like shady, shifty villain guy then it's going to be impossible for us to find ourselves in Judas or find Judas in us. And so I want to 
kind of break us out of that. I don't want us to think of Judas as this like crazy like <laughs> guy. Like that just wasn't his, that's probably not who he was. He was probably more like, pro- <laughs> like, like turning his mustache. Uh, he was probably like you. He was probably like sitting right in the chair at church. And so what we're going to do is this, this whole lesson deals with the end of Jesus' life. Because that's where we actually learn the most about Judas. And so we're going to look at the end of Jesus' ministry, the end of Jesus' life right up to the cross. And so we're going to take communion. If you've noticed during the series that I have actually done the communion about every other lesson or so. We've turned it into a sermonion. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to take communion. And here's some things I want you to think about throughout this lesson to get ready for communion. I want you to think about why Jesus died for us. And I want you to see how Judas was actually living in opposition to all of those things. And then I want you to think about the ways, what ways you might be like Judas. And so when we get to communion, I want you to have this conversation with Jesus where you are saying, these are the things, these are the parts of my character where I'm living in opposition to the cross. Lord, help me. So we're going to jump into two parts of Judas's character. I'm just going to say right now, if I mix up the words Jesus and Judas, please forgive me. I, I'm sure it's going to happen. If I, say, if I say, like, Lord Judas, like, I'm not speaking blasphemy. I'm just, I'm just getting tongue-tied up here, so please forgive me. So, here we go. The first part of, of Judas's, I see I almost said Jesus's character. Uh, the first part of Judas's character that uh, I swear I didn't, like, tell the Browns to go as hard as they did on giving, but it was awesome. But we are going to look at Judas's greed. This is one of the things that we know the most about Judas. Is he was not upright with how he handled money. And we're going to look at uh, a very important story. In John 12, we read about Mary and Jesus. And Judas was right there. And I think I remember... Alex did a contribution where she did this verse, and it was so great. But this is the story. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. But he did not say this because he cared about the poor. He said it because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. So you've got three characters in this this episode, this story. You've got Mary and Jesus, and it's a very close, intimate, you know, situation between Mary and Jesus. Mary is overwhelmed with this gratitude for who Jesus is. And maybe she knows, like, he's been saying he's going he's gonna to go to the cross. I believe him. It seems like no one else believes him, but, but I don't want him to go. And so she, she pours out, like, everything she has, as her whole person, she pours it out in the form of this very expensive perfume. 
and she literally pours it on the ground. But she washes his, his like, feet. He anoint, she anoints him. And then who pops up? It had nothing to do with Judas. This was a, this was a, a, a situation between Mary and Jesus, and yet Judas is like, I have an opinion on the matter. Why was this perfume not sold and the money given to the poor? And Jesus was like, back off, man. Leave her alone. Like, this has nothing to do with you. And Judas didn't say that because he loved the poor. He said it because he was like, that's, that's a dollar signs. That's drachma signs in the form of money that I could be carrying around and maybe like help myself to. And so and I want to I expound on this, but I want to ask my question first. You have this scene. You have Jesus. You have Mary on the ground pouring out tons of like, money and resources in what seems to be a very wasteful way. You have Jesus, you have Mary, and then you have Judas. And he's sitting there kind of in judgment on the whole thing. And my question for us today, which do not, do, don't glance over this question. I really, like, I have to meditate on this question so much. The question is, am I more like Judas or like Mary? If I were to examine the way the, we, if we were to examine the way we handle our money, in that instance, do we look more like Judas or Mary? When it comes to my relationship with money, this is the way Jen and I talk about this a lot. You have a relationship with money. You have a relationship with wisdom. And our job is to like, you know, in, like build those relationships. But in my relationship with money, am I more like Mary, the, like, who seems almost foolish, or am I more like Judas, who's so, you know, reserved and judgmental and I don't know. Here's another way to, am I looking for ways to give or am I looking for ways to get ahead? Because that was the difference between Mary and Judas. Are my finances a reflection of my desperate affection for Jesus? Or are my finances a reflection of a detached lordship? That's the, di that's the difference between Mary and Judas. Do we wait to give until we feel comfortable and taken care of? And this goes back, if you remember, at the beginning of the year we did the treasure series. And we talked about the greed of wealth. The greed of wealth is I have a lot and I want more. But then we also talked about the greed of poverty, which is, I don't have a lot, so I'm not giving anything. And this has to do with the greed of poverty. Like, I think that's what Judas was experiencing. He's like, because here's a way to think about it. I'm going to take a step back, okay? Biblically, we think that Judas was probably a zealot. He may have been a Pharisee, but he was probably a zealot. And we're, we're, we're making guesses about all of this stuff, okay? But... But Judah, like the, the, one of the defining traits of a zealot was that they were like, they feel very strongly and very passionately about what was right and, and the way to get things done, and they were willing to bend certain rules to accomplish what they thought was right. Now, in the terms of a zealot, that rule was usually violence. 
Like, I want God to be glorified, but if i got to kill a Roman, I'll kill a Roman to do it. And so we think that maybe Judas was probably aligned with the zealots. And, and so, like I said, this is all guesses, but we think maybe that, that Judas was brought in, and maybe he thought, I'm not, I'm not here to be like a student, like a minister. I'm here to be like, an, like a soldier. That's kind of how the zealots acted and operated. And so he's like, you know, this, this makes sense to me, and what you're doing is not according to the plan that I thought I was signing up for. And so, uh, which is funny, because when you, when you think about Judas sitting there listening to Jesus talk about the good shepherd, and you're not the hired hand, you're the, I want you to be the good shepherd. And maybe Judas was like, I am the hired hand. You, you hired me to, to get stuff done. And then he teaches all kinds of like love and compassion and, you know, he's talking to Gentiles. What's that? And so Judas is probably like freaking out over the course of Jesus's ministry. And so Judas may have been like, well, if like I thought I was signing up for this kingdom where I was going to be a part of something. And now we're homeless, wandering around, getting help from all these women. Like, I'm going to get mine. And that was his attitude. And here's, here's what I want to say. There has been a, a plague throughout, throughout Christianity, modern Christianity. This idea of, man, I'm just too poor to give back to God. Even though, and I've talked about this before, even though we're way richer than almost anyone in the Bible. But, but think about what we're saying when we say, I'm too poor to give. What we're saying is, God, I'm sitting here and I'm waiting for you to give to me. And once that reaches a certain threshold, then I will give back to you. And then what happens? It doesn't reach the threshold we want. And so we're like, not good enough, God. I'm still too poor. You haven't earned my giving. Keep trying. Try harder next time, God. Give me enough so that you have earned my giving back to you. That's like Judas. Or, or are we like Mary? Are we so grateful for the relationship and love of Jesus that expressions of gratitude overflow in practical ways? in practical monetary ways that people notice and go, that's crazy. And the people that go, that's crazy, that's Judas. But the people that go, I'm just giving, and you can't keep me from giving. He's like, Mary, I don't want us to be like Judas in this regard. I don't want us to sit back and, and judge and, and have an opinion on other people and their lordship. And yet our lordship is detached. I want us to be like Mary and just be like, foolishly overflowing with gratitude. And so the, the number one thing that we know about Judas is that he was greedy and he was a thief and he was shifty in that regard. And so I just want to tell a story. I feel like I'm going to just destroy my time, but we really got to, we really got to move through this. Like, <clears throat> I don't know if I've shared this, but I, as a young man, and Jen's not, Jen's in Kids Kingdom, so Jen's not here. If Jen were here, she would like, be doing this the whole story, okay? I was so bad with money. 
so horrible with money. Now I look back and I'm like, I wish I would have gone to like a professional counselor or therapist so that I could have been diagnosed as like a compulsive shopaholic. And you're like, that's not usually like a dude problem. That's more of like a girl problem, right? I'm like, it was my problem. It was, it was my problem. And what do I mean by that? It was that I had an emotional void that somehow was like soothed whenever I spent money. And if I bought something, I felt a little better. And it got worse and it got worse and like Jen and I were fighting and, and I would run away from Jen and avoid conflict and run to like stores or retail or the internet and buy things even when I didn't have any money. And it got to the point where, um, it got to the point where I remember I was so depressed because like my relationships, my family moved away, Jen and I were fighting all the time. And I was like, I, I, I went through my drawer and I found an old checkbook that had one check in it. Now, that was not in, it didn't like symbolize any money in the bank because I had no money in the bank. But it was a piece of paper that I knew I could trade to an unsuspecting retailer for something. And I took that check, and my checkbook, and I went to the camera store, and I bought like a $750 lens, and I was like, here you go. And they gave it to me, and I felt happy for a little while. And uh, boy, that caught up with me. I couldn't go back to that camera store again because I had a bounce check. I actually moved to California, stopped, stopped paying my car payments. For some reason, I thought, are they going to find me in California? Oh, they found me. And they repoed my car. And they will find you. And I ended up borrowing thousands of dollars from Jen, who was like my kind of ex-girlfriend at the time. Why did she give me that money? I don't know. <laughs> I ended up coming back to Michigan, and I was like, hey, I went to the bank, and I was like, I'd like to open an account. They were like, you can open a savings account, but we are not going to give you a check or a debit card or anything. We don't trust you. My credit was so bad. I became a disciple and started the process of seeing this in myself. Like, I... And bad with money. And I, I, wish I, would, I wish I would have pulled it. When Jesus is talking about the parable of the sowers, the, the thorny soil is the soil that is destroyed by, one of the things is, the deceitfulness of wealth. And I want you to know that I am intimately familiar with the deceitfulness of wealth. It's in my face. I know the lies that money and wealth and possessions and treasure, that it, it tells me. And I know how I believe those lies, and I know what it looks like when I believe those lies. And it's very clear to me. But is it clear to you, the deceitfulness of wealth in your own life? Judas didn't know about the deceitfulness of wealth. He thought he could outplay that game. And it w went very badly for him. And so, I, I don't, uh, gosh, I could talk just about greed and, and this all for another couple hours. 
But there's another part of Judas's character that we have to be super careful about. And that is his scheming. Judas, um, like I said, we think that maybe he was a zealot and he was like, I I know how this is going to go. And then when it didn't go that way, he's like, well, I'm going to make it go that way. And so why did Judas sell out Jesus? Let's, let's look at it, okay? In Matthew 26, Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him thirty pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Now, we could draw a conclusion. One conclusion could be that this is just another part of his greed. He wanted money, and he saw Jesus as a commodity that, he could, be, that could be traded for money. And that's a possibility. That is a, a possibility. But another possibility is that Judas was full on board with the Messiah. And he's like, in my mind, this is what's going to happen. The Messiah is going to come. We're going to kick off the revolution. We're going to start killing people. We're going to come into power. We're going to rule. And everything's going to be awesome. And then the way Jesus is running his ministry is like, when's it going to happen? When is it going to happen? And so another way to interpret Judas's behavior at this time is he's like, you know what? Why don't I just make it happen? Why don't I just push these, these, these two people have to, to come to blows. Why don't I make it happen? And the, 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 the lessons from that are scary because what that tells us is, if that's true, is that the, the evil of, G, of Judas, that, like the, the main problem of Judas is not that he was like diabolical and evil, it's that he was religious. He was religiously prideful. He's like, I know how the kingdom of God is supposed to look and I'm going like, to get that done. And so he, he started his, he got, he got the scheme going. And so he went to the chief priests and was like, I'll give them to you. This is going to have to happen one way or another. So how much will you give me? They give him 30 pieces of silver. And however, whatever the motivations were, like I said, this is a lot of speculation because there's just not, we just don't have like a deep dive into who Judas is. But whatever it is, what we know about Judas is he's very zealot-like in this. He gets stuff done. And in a way, that's good. Jesus had zealots in his disciples because he's like, we got to get some stuff done and we got to be a little flexible with our morals on some things. (laughs) He's like, we got to be willing to like give and take a little and the zealots were pretty good at that, but they always bent towards violence. And so I want to ask us, do we have that little zealot inside us that's gonna get stuff done, but not in a good way? Here's the the way I'm going to ask you that. Do I find a way to get my way? Do I find a way to get my way? Do you scheme? Do you figure it out? Do you put your heart into something? Have no advisors, and then you just set out and you make it happen. Do you ever keep things from people? I have done this. Gosh, this would be another thing where Jen would be like, uh-huh. Because I had, I had a, a not good relationship with honesty and the truth for many, many, many years. And 
Some of it was driven by fear. Some of it was driven by just pride and stubbornness. But I would, I would be like, this is what I'm going to do. And then I would like, hide it until I got my plan hatched a little bit more. And then I would, I would keep it from people until the point where it's already in motion. And then I'd be like, yeah, this is what I'm doing. Now here's what happens, and I think we discussed this, we did a, a midweek on advisors, and, and this is what happens. When, when you pull people in after you've already decided to do something and started doing it, you're not asking for advice. You're asking for a critique. And you know what a critique feels like? Criticism. And you live, if you live your life only getting criticism from people, how is that going to help? How is that going to feel? You're going to start getting mad at anybody who says, I don't think that was such a good idea. And Judas kept his plan hidden from everybody. And that leads me to what I like to call, gosh, I'm running out of time, the Judas talk. Now this is not a character trait of Judas. This is this is something that happens at the Last Supper with Jesus. But this is, this is a talk that I've had to have with um, a couple guys back in, in our old church. But I want to read this. This is the Last Supper, okay? Jesus was troubled, John 13, 21. Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at, at a loss to know which one of them he meant. Which is crazy, right? They didn't know it was Judas. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, which was John, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then, dipping the bread, piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you are about to do, do quickly. But no one on the, at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him, buy what was needed for the festival or give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. So, the Judas talk. Um, I remember having a, a conversation with a guy in campus ministry back, back in Ann Arbor. And um, he was having an inappropriate relationship with a girl at school. And we were talking about it, and, he, and, and man... I was stunned how often and long and like we were talking about it and we were talking about it. And finally, um, it was like we were fighting over this thing. And finally, I was like, it sounds like you have just already made up your mind. So why don't you just do whatever you're going to do, man, and stop wasting my time? And we, you know, even in ministry, we make this mistake all the time where we think that, like, we can counsel someone into repentance. Like, if I can just 
if we can just talk enough and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk, and talk, and talk then, then I'll convince you to do what's right. When this person has already decided what they are going to do. And so the Judas talk is, a, is a, a painful moment in a relationship where it's like, man, just do it. You're going to do it anyway. Like, I'm not giving you permission, but I'm, I, I realize that, that you are going to do whatever you're going to do. And so, this is something that needs to be said to every church on a regular basis, semi-regular basis, okay? Some of you just need to do what you're going to do. You know, there's a story about, like, how do, you, how do you cut off a dog's tail? You do it quickly. And if, imagine, so you can, you can go and cut off a dog's tail quickly, or you can spend the next two years slicing it off slowly. And we call that torture. And you'd be like, that's the worst thing you could ever do. That's completely inhumane. It is. And when it comes to our church, not our church, but church in general, if you have set your mind to doing something, and let's just say, imagine it, just imagining this, like a year from now, there's someone who's like, I'm just waiting to find a reason to leave, or something like that. I really want to free people from that. Like, just leave. It's okay. There are many churches that are post-COVID that are hurting, and they are on the verge of dying. And I'm not saying that we are one of those churches. But, but if we spend the next year just trying to convince people to, like, stick around in the most unhealthy way, and we just create the most unhealthy environment, it's not good. It's actually going to hurt everyone else. There are people that want to build quality spiritual relationships. They're like, I thirst for time with spiritual people. And I want, I want to pour into their lives and I want to be poured into. And then there are people that just want to be chased around. And, and what I've seen over and over again, and I've done this, is I'm going I'm to make this guy chase me until he makes a mistake. And then I'm going to weaponize his weakness and use it as an excuse. And I'm just telling you, we can't, we can't do that. We are not at a place in our church where we can, we, can, we can do that. That will destroy us. And so the Judas talk is literally just that. It's like, hey, you're going to do this. Just do it, man. And so I want to talk about the very last part of Judas's character. And this leads us right up to the cross. And that part is remorse without repentance. Have you ever heard of, there's a clinical, there's a clinical, I used to work in the hospital, um, and I was not, I was not clinical, but I had to like do all kinds of weird things for all, every department in the hospital because we were in marketing. And we did this study, we did, a, we actually did a research study and um, all kinds of like simulation training into sepsis. Has anyone ever heard of sepsis? Okay. We're going to look at sepsis real quick. 
Yeah, I'm so far over time, but we're going to be done. Okay, sepsis. This is the definition of sepsis from, the, from CDC. Sepsis is the body's extreme response to an infection. It is a life-threatening medical emergency. Sepsis happens when an infection you already have triggers a chain reaction throughout your body. Without timely treatment, sepsis can rapidly lead to tissue damage, organ failure, and death. Now, sepsis usually goes something like this. There's some sort of trauma. Like if you get shot, you have a bullet inside of you. That is trauma, okay? But we can treat the trauma. They pull the bullet out, okay? They do surgery, they take the bullet out. Now, let's say a side effect of that trauma, though, was that the wound is infected. Now, we can treat the infection, too. We have antibiotics that can treat the infection. But what the craziest thing and the most deadly thing about sepsis is that it's not the trauma that kills you. And it's not the infection that kills you. It's your body's reaction to the infection that kills you. You literally poison your own blood and it will destroy you from the inside out. And every, all, the, all the nurses and doctors are like, we might not be able to save this person. We took the bullet out. We gave him the antibiotics, but his own body is destroying itself. And guys, uh, 1.7 million people get this a year, and 270,000 people die just in America of sepsis. And you're like, it's a, you know, he got shot, but that's not why he died. He, got, he, he died because his own body killed himself. Guys, I want to be deadly serious with you right now. A lot of us, on, on some point in your walk with God, at some point, you are going to experience spiritual sepsis. You're going to feel something traumatic. It's, you, it's probably going to be sin, either your sin or someone else's sin. And we can deal with the sin. But then, there, there's usually, a, I'm going to call the infection, like usually some form of conflict. Conflict internally, conflict between another person. Some of that criticism, it feels like this. And then what happens is, we can deal with the sin, we can deal with the conflict, but we can't treat how you destroy yourself spiritually. Now what does this have to do with Judas? Well, this is exactly what happened after he, after he betrayed Jesus. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. That's your problem, man. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and he hanged himself. And this gives us another glimpse into the fact that Judas probably didn't think it was going to end with the, with the cross. He's like, he's like okay, any time now, Ju Jesus. Like, come in your glory. Like, call down the angels. Judas was probably rooting for Jesus all throughout the arrest and the, the trial. And when it came time, when he's like, they are getting the cross ready. They are going to kill this guy. He realized, this is what I did. I killed the Messiah. And he had, like, soul-crushing remorse. 
Guys, I have seen this. I don't know when to tell this story. I, there was a situation, there was a situation that was so sad because there was a couple, they were leading, they were leading a group. This is not, this is at our old church. They were leading a group. They were, they were so spiritual, like spiritual heroes of mine. And there's something happened. There was some weird little thing. And it started snowballing into this strange conflict. And, and people tried to intervene, and they're like, hey, like, are, are you okay? And we got to witness firsthand this, this spiritual sepsis, where all of a sudden, the craziest stuff started happening. They're like, you know what? We're going we're gonna to leave this church, and we're going to move to another city, and we're going to move to another state, and we're not going to talk to anybody. And we're like, what? What is happening? Like, it's just, we can talk this out, bro. No, we can't talk it out. I'm done. And it's like, the, 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 the instigative, like the, the beginning, the catalyst was like so insignificant. But I don't know if it was pride. I don't want to label it like that, but it was almost like an embarrassment that was so deep, they were like, I can't show my face around here anymore. And they're like, I'm done with everything. And literally every relationship, done. And I'm moving. They literally like sold their house and moved. And it's this, it's this like spiritual sepsis. Like I'm, I'm done with everybody. I, I'm, I can't come back. This is what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians. Maybe you, maybe you knew we were going to go here. 2 Corinthians 7. So 1 Corinthians is a rough letter, guys. And Paul kind of lays them out. But then in the second letter, he's like, hey, here's what he says. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I don't regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. This is a perfect description of the difference between Judas and Peter. Because they both betrayed Jesus. And we don't have time to get into all that. But, but Judas could not. He, he was overwhelmed with remorse, but no repentance. And it literally led to his, him taking his own life. And so I want us to think about that spiritual sepsis. Like, do I, is my reaction sometimes worse than the, the trauma? Here's my question. Am I poisoning myself with worldly sorrow? Am I holding on to so many hurts and bad feelings and yet never seeking repentance? Because it will kill us. Guys, I want us to take communion. I, I was really going to try to keep this to a short sermon, but well, that did not happen. So, uh, here, as we, as we take communion, we're going to take the bread and juice. I want us to think, why did Jesus die for us? 
And I want us to think about Judas and all the ways that he didn't see it. He was like trying to do his own thing. He was greedy. He was overcome by all of the things that were in opposition to what the cross was trying to accomplish. And then I want you to think, what are the ways that that you're like Judas? What are the ways that I'm like Judas? Judas was greedy. Where do I see greed in my heart? Judas was a schemer. Where do I have that? Judas was remorseful without repentance. Where am I like that? Am I poisoning myself on worldly sorrow? And so, and then those are the conversations I want you to have with Jesus. Like, Jesus, thank you so much for dying for me, but this is where I need to change and grow because I'm standing in opposition to the cross. Amen? Let us pray, and then we will take communion. Oh, God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you that he was able to love Judas so much so that no one knew that Judas was the bad guy. That Jesus' love never waned. That Jesus never showed everyone just how, how fed up he was with Judas. That Jesus was able to love his betrayer uh, all the way through. God, I pray for us, that as we study out the bad guys, that we can be humble, that we can find ourselves in them and choose repentance, and that we can love coming to the cross with a pure heart. I pray that as we continue uh, to, to look at these things, that you can, you can be convicting us, but you can also be filling us with hope, because the cross is not just a condemnation of sin. It is the solution and answer to sin. It is because your son died for us that we can say, I am like Judas, but it doesn't have to end me. I don't have to end like Judas. I pray that we can move forward, refreshed through repentance and living a life that uh, looks more like your son. We love you. We pray all of this in his name. Amen.